Hello and welcome to On Landscape. Uh, this is our environmental podcast, I would say, uh, because I'm sitting here with uh, a bunch of other photographers, so I'll let them introduce themselves. And we're going to discuss what can we, as photographers, rather than generally as individuals, do in order to uh, help the environment or help convince people to take the environmental environmental seriously. Um, we'll expand on that in a moment, but first of all, I'll, if you can introduce yourself, starting with David. My name is David Ward. I'm a recovering photographer. Uh, I'm Joe Cornish. Uh, I'm Ted Leeming. I'm Lauren Patterson. I'm Charlotte Parkin. Now, who are you? I'm, t I'm Tim Parkin. Charlotte <laughs> <laughs> everybody knows. Um, so what, what, what I was hoping to do is to, to address one of the problems a lot of people have, which is to say that I, I'd love to do something to help the environment. And, you know, I, I recycle plastics. I do these things that are, that are promoted as individual actions that anybody can take. But what I'd like to talk about is what we as photographers, as landscape photographers can do, uh, both in terms of modifying our own behaviour or possibly ways of uh, being influential um, on, a, on a national, global, local level. Um, now, I, I'll, I'll start a little bit about um, where I'm coming from. Uh, and I, I've come to this recently because I got involved in a campaign to try and stop the development of hydropower in Glenetive. Um, now, this, this is a quite a complex thing, really, because I, as, a, as somebody who would like to think of themselves as an environmentalist, I don't want to be stopping alternative energy sources. But like anything to do with the environment, it's complicated. So um, I got involved in this campaign and ended up taking photographs of the areas to try and put on a website, which I helped develop with a, a friend from King Goosey. And I realized that a lot of, for me, a lot of what I can do is local rather than global. Um, on other things, we as a magazine have, have tried to start a few uh, things about the environment. So Joe Cornish has written a fantastic article. Uh, Ted and Morag are, we're starting a, a series of articles, but I'd be interested in hearing what you as individuals, so can I start with you, David, being as, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you well, said you weren't going to pick me. No, I wasn't, but I'd like <laughs> If I'd said it was, you'd be all prepared and everything. That's true. Um, I, I think, well, I act, I suppose, individually. I also try and act in terms of what I do with the workshop company that I run. So uh, I try and eliminate use of some um, single-use plastics with the, with the company. Um, everybody gets a, a water bottle, a reusable water bottle, which they can bring again and again and again. Um, uh, I try and uh, offset some of the things. Um, so in terms of anything that involves a flight, I will carb I, the company pays for a carbon offset for the flights. Um, and local things like uh, here in Scotland, just run a workshop in in the Poly and uh, Trees for Life, I think it's called. Yes. Gave a contribution for them, and we just Joe and I are just about to do another workshop, and we will give a contribution. Uh, I think Trees for Life maybe, but I'm also considering another couple of um, charities. Um, try and do something local to where we are if I can. Yeah. Um, where where the workshop is. Where the workshop is, yeah, yeah, because I think it's important to try and help. The environment exactly there rather than globally um, and that's the program that's only just started this year I mean I've been back from Botswana just over a year and I, it, I thought this was something that needed to be done because too many photographers I think uh, landscape photographers think of the landscape and it's a very sad thing for me to say but they think of the landscape as something that's to be consumed rather than communed with as ingredients yeah. yeah yeah and I think that's a very sad thing and you see that in the degradation of places which are visited by huge numbers of photographers um, 
know, some very kind of obvious examples. When the bloom happened in California last year, it wasn't just photographers, but there were you know, people trampling all over the poppies. And and every year here, come May time, when the bluebells come out and uh, people destroy what they ostensibly are there to celebrate yes. uh, in order to get that perfect photograph. Um, well, I'd like to ask you in a, in a, a bit about some of the things you've seen and, and Joe as well, about what's changed over the last uh, few years. Right. Or two. Um, but we'll go on to Joe and ask you what your general thoughts are on what we can do as landscape photographers. Well, it's, yeah, it's a complicated issue, isn't it, Tim? There's just so many uh, different aspects to it. And uh, I mean, David's touched on several there. Uh, I think, uh, you know, ultimately, the most, most important thing is think for everyone to feel that they have a stake in it uh, and that's the uh, obvious point in that if the natural beauty that we kind of aspire to see is we're losing it because if we you know by by destroying it and it's not of course just photographers are doing that but um, you know the human species by our sort of uh, almost excessive exploitation of the environment um, and and so we, we have a number of opportunities, I think, as photographers to use our photographs to uh, to raise awareness. Um, and I mean, in, in my case, just a little bit of background, I did a lot of work for the National Trust over the years. And I always felt when I was doing that work over 20 years that I was doing something positive. It felt to me that the pictures were mainly pictures of natural beauty. Um, places that were all con already conserved and, and they were there to reinforce the message that um, places of beauty are worth preserving for future generations. It was, you know, the, it, the, I think the National Trust have this kind of forever for everyone, um, uh, which is it's great. And many other countries are very envious of, of there being an organisation like the National Trust, which is independent of government interference and all that. Um, but this is a conversation isn't about the National Trust, it's much more about how we as photographers can focus both on what we do as individuals and also what is the most effective way of bringing change. And I mean, I, I still feel that, you know, the individual actions are important because of their symbolism um, and because of the way that they connect us and engage us with these issues. But actually, ultimately, the the changes need to happen politically. Um, and uh, perhaps in our role as photographers, we can, you know, we can get involved in pressure groups and local, especially local, because that, that's where it begins. Uh, there, there are many, many uh, groups locally now around the country, uh, and you can contribute your pictures. And I don't think you're denying professional photographers, you know, money by doing that if you, if you give away your pictures, because most of those organizations probably barely even aware that they can use stock photos. Yeah, um, and so wouldn't have the budget anyway. In, indeed, and you could argue that photographers have two ways of communicating. One is to photograph, you know, disaster and degradation and things that are horrifying and shocking, you know, and also on the other hand, the, you know, the great beauty that there is in the world that we stand to lose if we don't care about it and if we don't pay attention to it. Um, for my part, I've always preferred to do the latter, but I actually think it's really important to understand that both of these ways of communicating are important. Ted and Laura, you work together on environmental um, issues, and the one, the zero footprint work, was um, I think quite influential in making people think a little bit about impact. Yeah, I think that that was our, that was certainly the Zero Footprint project was the first photographic project where we focused entirely on, we were, we were constructing a new zero carbon house at the time, uh, having been involved in environmental issues, and I've been involved in renewable energy um, since its infancy in the UK, since before there was uh, a wind farm or a solar farm in the UK. Um, and we were all volunteers, we were environmentalists, we weren't uh, business people involved in making money. We, we recognised climate change very early on and saw that renewable energy was a part of 
raising awareness and and the way we saw it was that if you put a wind turbine on a hill um, then people at least have to engage in the conversation and I don't think before then anybody even considered where their electricity came from yeah. for yeah. example uh, so so actually raising awareness as Joe has already alluded to I think is is a key factor but I also think we do all have to take responsibility for ourselves as well as we, we can't just wait for the government uh, to put the policies in, in place. We can do go along to the mass protests, uh, the Greta Thunbergs, the Extinction Rebellions. I do think they're important. Uh, they do say that if you get three and a half percent of a of a, any population in a mass movement, then that will create change. So it's a relatively small amount of, uh, 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 should we say, peaceful conflict that can create change because ultimately politicians and uh, capitalists are, are driven by the consumer um, because the vote does not go to the politician if they aren't talking uh, the voice of the people. Um, and likewise, if if the uh, the producers uh, people don't buy the product of the producer, uh, then they will change their ways very very quickly. So I think we do have to take responsibility ourselves uh, for this. Um, but that journey for individuals is is always very different. Um, so I think that if we to start with can raise awareness amongst ourselves and start acting ourselves then that's the starting point um, rather than waiting for others to do something. And I fear that currently everybody has listened to what the politicians have said, which has basically been carry on buying, carry on consuming, and as long as you put your waste material in a recycling bin, everything will be fine. And unfortunately, that over the last 30 years has been proven to categorically not be enough. Um, Laura, you, you've worked on quite a few little projects around the borders area uh, in, in, uh, in the past few years. Can you tell me a little bit about what? I guess I've been focused a lot on getting people to see their small and immediate environment and enjoy that, you know, rather than going to a honeypot location where there's a photograph they've seen many times before. And so just on your everyday dog walk in your own backyard, in your own back garden, you can get as much um, enjoyment out of your photography there and as good end results as well. Uh, and the very fact that you go somewhere, you know, day after day, time after time, see the same things, feel the seasons change, see them change and engage with that and bring your own knowledge to that. Um, you know, rather than always necessarily feeling you need to go somewhere else um, to, to find something to engage with would be, I think, my big takeaway of the last few years. Um, we, we've made a really tough decision recently to stop flying all together after this year, to just say, we've just, you know, we've been, you know, struggling with it over years. How do we do this? We're offsetting and, uh, and we've just come to a point where we think we've just got to stop because at the end of the day, it, it, we have really urgent action as needed. Mm. It's hard to, to reconcile. Yeah, and we can't sort of say we'll do it in a few years or we'll do it in five years or ten years because if the tipping point is that close, we've got to think about do we just stop now? So we stop flying for fun or domestic pleasure, as it were, for holidays or our own trips and um, we're going to stop at the end of our existing commitments that we already had at the end of the year flying full stop for workshops and we're also not going to take clients who fly to our workshops, which is really tough. And we've got no idea as a business scenario how that yeah. works or pans out, you know. But, you know, on mainland Europe, you can travel by train and car and buses and public transport. And, and we'll just have to see how it works out. And also, this innovation will come through and, you know, we're talking about electric planes and I don't know how long till that's commercially viable, you know, it could be 10, 20 years away. So, so it's not forever, but we just feel that at this point in time, we have to make a very big commitment. Everybody's not going to change at once, so yeah. a small number of people don't have to change a lot to make a difference. Yeah, even even just to to raise it as a thought for people. And we've actually, 
had some really good feedback as well from you know some of our customers who say they can really relate to that and are quite happy to change so yeah we're just going to have to see how that pans out over time and charlotte we've we've been in a lucky position to re-engineer our business really around around the environment in, in including moving up to moving up to scotland here and, and trying to run a business that doesn't rely on transport so it was certainly a conscious decision that we've moved somewhere where um, we felt really engaged with the landscape around us so we wouldn't have to go travelling off the, the actually photograph locally and actually the more you start going out and the more you start organising there's so much undiscovered places around Senko uh, and the surrounding glens um, and I think for me that was, that was a real eye-opener that actually you know, there's so much off the beaten track uh, that we can go and investigate but I think we'll say um, I, mean, I know we went to Norway last year that was our first flight wasn't it in five years um, and so for me, it's certainly, you know, think about what you said as well, Maura, um, not doing any flights and trying to keep it local is really something I'm really, really passionate about as well. Yeah, we're very lucky to be able to move our business up here. That's one of the cool parts of it. Um, if I could ask a question about how you've seen a change between you and uh, Joe and David, especially. Because um, we're the old. Because you're old. <laughs> <laughs> the old guy. Been around for a lot longer than many of us. Uh, things have changed dramatically, especially in landscape photography. It was very much a niche hobby uh, around the time when Stay Charlie started his his business. season. like say, Joe was earlier talking about the revolutions in the publishing industry in terms of printing mm. magazines and books, full colour reproduction, which drove the explosion of landscape photography in the 70s, early 80s? Yes, I'd say the 80s, uh, even in the 70s, when I first started looking at photo mags, uh, many of them were still mainly black and white, mm. and one colour. Can you believe it? I mean, it seemed incredible now uh, to think of it. But uh, yes, in the 80s, uh, there was a, a technical revolution in, in printing, in the print industry, which drove the costs down. Uh, and that coincided with rapidly expanding uh, air travel much cheaper. Um, you will probably all remember the days when everybody decided to go to Mallorca and Benidorm and so on for the first times. And then that was really in the 70s, to be fair. But yeah. then it was in the 80s, so people started to get a bit more ambitious. What else could they see abroad? And, and that was, was when Charlie, Charlie Wake definitely was a sort of uh, pioneer, I guess. I mean, he, he was chosen by publishers at the time, and then uh, a few. Other of us, others of us followed in his footsteps and uh, to travel widely around uh, Europe. I, w I will say, I'm sorry if I'm um, dominating this bit, David, because I'm sure you've got plenty of insights. No, 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 I'm, I'm happy uh, to take a back seat. Just, um, <laughs> just that there, uh, there's a, uh, when, I, when I was a student, I read James Lovelock's Gaia theory um, about life on Earth, and uh, it, it, it transformed my view of how the world functioned and climate change was already anticipated back then so we're talking the late 1970s you know as Deb was saying earlier you know if you we, we you know around this table have long memories so climate change may appear to be a thing since you know about 2010 but believe me it goes back a lot lot further than that it's just that, that what's happened in the meantime is that we've all got older and we get the benefit of um, of looking back in time and seeing how the world has changed how especially air travel and and particularly the places that we used to go when we were young in Scotland for example you never saw another photographer you never saw another photographer you know now uh, and Scotland isn't really bad quote unquote compared with say I don't know Monument Valley or the uh, Grand Canyon Marine uh, Bells, Mar 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 Bells oh. places in the United States where there could be hundreds of photographers well, when did you first in the workshops to places like from America or parts of Iceland or yeah uh, United Europe. States in the 1990s and yeah. Iceland we went to in 1999 together mm. there was absolutely nobody there we, no. we we literally stayed you know we had a, a bus we had our group and uh, we, we slept on on the floors of, of village halls yes we did yeah yeah 16 people in the room yeah. <laughs> it was entertaining yeah uh, so you know that, and, and really, <laughs> no details of the story. Um, but anyway, it, it was uh, it, it was very very different, and 
when when David and I first travelled in Europe independently as as working photographers, uh, we didn't know what we were going to see. We had typed lists of subject matter that we were hoped to cover. We had good old fashioned paper maps, um, so we didn't know what we were going to see. We'd turn up in a place and walk around yeah. and take pictures. So I mean, it's idyllic in a way when when you think back on it because there's very little pressure. You know, we, we didn't have these sort of you know, the, in fact, ironically, one of my strongest memories of being disappointed as a photographer was seeing Yosemite Valley for the first time because that was one of the places I had seen pictures of. Yeah. And it was Ansel's yes. clearing winter storm, and I went there in the middle of the summer, in the middle of the day. Um, with it wasn't sky. the same. It wasn't the same. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> a surprise. <laughs> Instagram disappointment. <laughs> exactly. Well, of course, you'd drop in a, cl- uh, in a sky now, wouldn't you? Probably. But yeah, some well, people I wouldn't, hopefully. <laughs> David. You wouldn't. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I think one of the points that kind of comes up there is the, is the, is the internet. It's not just about air travel it's about the internet I was going to ask about time scales people have references to everything now they can they can look something up and they can get excited before they go there about the possibilities and um, and this creates a little bit of a freezing a feeding frenzy at some places and it's it's not a good thing at all Um, and we had we had to find places that took work Um, and now it's it's much easier you don't need to, to go to that effort to, to actually work out where something is. We go back to the point Morag was making about um, subjects being available everywhere. And I think that's that's something that I personally have always been interested in rather than the, than the iconic views, um, is, is the fact that there is amazing material for photography, for creativity, almost everywhere in the environment. There is something if you just look, if you actually make the effort. And sadly, a lot of a lot of people are lazy. They they like to have an idea handed to them on a plate, and they will they will run with that. And it's much easier to um, to do that than it is to actually engage creatively with the environment, which is a very sad thing. I think not everybody, obviously, and I'm probably just making comparisons of evidence. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important in this discussion that it isn't all about absolutes, that everybody has to do everything. So it's not about giving up flying, giving up meat, giving up all the elements that that, that people uh, uh, put forward as the solution. It's about being, it's about each of us taking responsibility for being sustainable in the actions that we take as individuals. And at the individual level, I think that's all we can really do. You know, you will get people that 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 peak and do the, the whole vegan thing or do the zero uh, flying, uh, roller skate everywhere for the rest of their lives. Um, and <laughs> But everybody is individual in this. I think that the, the important thing is that we, we strive to be sustainable in our own lives and then look and hope and uh, demand of the people that are in charge to do their bit to to deliver the bigger solutions. And as photographers, as we mentioned the zero footprint earlier on, but that was, I think for a lot of people, that was part of a thought to think, well, I, I could think about my local area like that. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's been a few. Yeah, John Brock did a project like that. Um, yeah, Paul Moon. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. been quite a, a, few, a num- number of people, just so, a local piece of woodland or whatever. Yeah. For the, for the last couple of years, I've been doing, instead of doing holidays that require significant travel, transport, etc., I've been doing walking holidays. I, I cycled the Danube last year. Uh, I walked in the Alps the year before. Um, minimizing travel this year I've actually got a meeting with we're, we're in Italy uh, in the summer but I have a meeting in Scotland coming back by train uh, and then I'm actually going to cycle back to uh, Italy as a as a statement but if you like but actually yeah. turning it into a project and I think the theme will be commute and looking at different forms of transport as a photography project on 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 the way back um, so yeah 
think there's something for me that Joe said to us years ago when we were first. I think we launched the Zero Footprint project at your gallery, didn't mm -hmm. we, in North yeah. Allerton? Yeah. And you made a really important point, though, that there's a luxury for some people who are either established or have enough income from their mm. photography already that it's a bit easier for us to do some of these things, like make a choice to cycle over a month and make a project of it, or make a choice to offset or not to fly, or any of the, the choices we're making are partly through... Um, the luxury of being able to make that choice and to be able to photograph locally. You live in Glencoe, which is beautiful. We live in Galloway and Liguria, which is incredible. We can photograph from our doorsteps. So, so when it comes down to everybody being able to make their choices, I think you, you know, people just need to ask themselves the question as they're photographing, as they're deciding how to work. Of, you know, just just to be aware of it. Is this positive and sustainable and it's not all about denial I think you know I wrote in the blog piece in the magazine last week choosing to limit yourself in some of these ways can actually be a hugely positive step mm -hmm. in terms of your creativity Complete freedom is a curse for absolutely. any absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah you know mm. and, and, and some of these things yeah, absolutely mm. yeah they can be a really good focus and also if you work more locally it's immediately more available as well because it's really close, it's something you can achieve potentially before work and your lunch hour and, and fit around your everyday lifestyle. But it's going back as well in a way, isn't it? You've been back to the Revilliuses in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Um, painter and photographer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that James Revilius, the photographer. Yeah. Eric Revilius, the painter. Yeah. 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 But I mean, that was that's the way most people used to work. They used to work locally because they have no, yeah. no yeah. choice about it. Yeah. We, we, We've had a fantastic privilege yes. of being able to to go anywhere, yeah. Um, and somehow not thought. I think most people have not thought that there would be a price to pay for that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I actually, think we've we've almost been told that there wouldn't be a price to pay for it. Well, we we have to take responsibility it's, as uh, well. You know that we didn't notice on the way the way along. Well, well, wherever we are, there's no point in regrets. It's more no, how do we go forward It's about looking at things. Definitely yeah. about it. Yeah. The, the reality is that, you know, we in in the UK, uh, we, we pay, if we're, uh, if we're driving, we pay a significant amount of tax uh, that, that's supposed to be uh, reflective of, of the carbon footprint. But it's still not enough. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the air industry, is free of that tax yeah. so you know if we are going to have a, any kind of way of quantifying the impact of um, of how the climate is being changed by um, by fossil fuel atmospheric pollution uh, and changing the amount of carbon that there is in the air that hasn't happened yet and it really has to happen internationally as we know and it, it could happen in the next few years yeah. there will be international agreements I think it's really, really important at grassroots that that uh, politicians realise that normal people, i.e., us, actually care about it, mm. and that we want to see change, and that we will are prepared to stand up and be counted about well, it. Somebody asked me about the fact that I, I've mentioned my I think the, the the true answer is politics, and Greta Thunberg has said this that it's all politics. It, it's, it's fundamentally the only thing that will change things at the scale needed. So how can I influence that? And I think a few years ago, I might have said I, I find that very difficult until I started getting involved in this environmental project down Flanetti. And what I realized was is you, you talk to some of the people who got involved in the campaign there and they say, I wouldn't have been political had I not got involved in this small campaign. And it's converted more people to be political because of a local issue than than talking about party politics. I think it's, it's, if you can address people and get them to stand up about something, they'll tend to be more more likely to stand up about other things as well. And, and a, a big example of this is probably the the tree cutting down in Sheffield, uh, mm. which was a major issue where a, a, a Labour council decided that they were going to save money by outsourcing the tree felling to a company uh, who then said it would be financially a lot easier just to cut everything down and replant uh, and that's politicized the whole of Sheffield literally all these small suburban leafy places that would have been uh, 
I don't know, gently liberal maybe perhaps, but not really active, um, have become um, grandmas sitting in front of trees blockading things. People have been arrested, haven't they? But many have been arrested and gone to to court over it. And and the fact that these people now realise that everything's political is something that I think photographers can do themselves. If they get involved in a local action at a small level and try and engage people with the photography as part of that, I think that's a, it's a positive action to change people's minds. The interesting thing, I think, being a photographer is that you, you're an eyewitness and so you do see what's happening. And that, that's why I think, you know, although I'm really, really naturally somebody who's terrified of getting involved in politics, I don't see how we have a choice. You know, fundamentally, I think that we were out there looking at the world with our cameras and, and literally bearing witness to the change that happens over time. Well, you and I have done anyway. Um, so back to the old times. Yeah, that's right. So uh, <laughs> it, it just sort of feels like it's a, a responsibility. I mean, I I just feel bad for all the damage I've done by all the travel I've done over the years, and it's not that. Uh, I do think it's a personal thing. I agree with with you, Toby and, and Morica, that it's a uh, it's about a personal um, what can, what can you do? Realizing if you want to, especially if you if you get joy from seeing the beauty of nature, uh, to do what you can to preserve it for now and for future generations. So, I mean, the thing is that none of those equations are simple, are they? Not um, at all. Uh, what was the thing that came out last week? Um, that uh, disposable fashion is uh, consumes twice as much uh, energy as all global, global travel. travel. All is global, it? Yeah. yeah. And Which also browsing crazy. the internet is going to surpass all global travel. Just Googling something mm. very soon. Really? Yeah. Data base. So it's already a large country's worth yeah. of data centers. Every yeah. Google search, every time you tap it, something into Google, is the equivalent of driving your car a certain distance down the road. That's just without any question at the moment. And they say that if you imagine every search, it's not even the storage of your files. So that's your, when you type in a, yeah, a, a yeah. search. Because it, it saves yeah. some if file. You hit a, if you hit a URL, that's okay. Is that no, right? everything. No, every, every single action on no, internet. Every single action no. saves a little file somewhere GPS. that goes to a, a storage server that needs to be called. And, and they say that will the, surpass travel. The second, the second biggest yeah. electricity consumer in the UK is data centers. the ubiquity of it. Mm. So there's all of you know, we, paper maps. Yeah. We're <laughs> talking about what I'm trying to say the, is that you can't there are no simple equations. No, no, Whatever no, no. you do, everything you do. If yeah. you change your car every couple of years, then there's a huge yeah. carbon yeah. Yeah. Yes, involved Massive. in it's, that. It's trying yeah. to be aware every time you spend your pound or your penny or whatever is just have a small think about what that what's yeah. behind that. Or what's in front of it? Just going back to, to to Joe's point on the awareness, I think that one of the things that you're very kindly looking to set up is inviting photographers to uh, visualize through their images and words um, their concerns, their views, their voice on on climate change, and we've had. Joe, with his initial article, I think that Neil Benvey uh, did a piece, uh, Morag and I have both done a piece, and there's going to be an ongoing series. And this is, this is fantastic. This is a way that, that uh, through our images and, and words for some people, more images for others, um, we can actually raise this issue within our circle and through your magazine. So thanks very much, Tim and Charlotte, on that. But actually... We could all go out there, do these sorts of articles, and actually start promoting them to other magazines. Uh, so people do look at, at photographs, and they do have an impact. So I think that we could all take a help to raise awareness by going to newspapers, by going to other magazines where, and they can be local, they can be uh, international. It doesn't really matter, but if you're starting to raise awareness through your actions and through your photography, that's another real way we can make change. Every small village or small area has its own little, little independent advertorial based yeah. news uh, magazines. And they're, and they're dying, for, pictures. dying yeah. for material. And if you can get to submit a picture with a small bit of narrative, 
So perhaps if everybody said, I'm going to do a single image or a, an article or a piece that raises any issue on the subject, and it can be habitat loss. We, Joe, we've had a, mm -hmm. a conversation Absolutely. how habitat loss is in, indelibly linked to the, the subject, as is uh, mass extinction. It can be landscape-based. It, it can be any issue at all. It can be waste. It could be positive, proactive, I think, and, and showing hope is very important in this as well. I, I think psychologically it's very important because I think a lot of people are turn away from anything that's... that's yes, the, the, and the natural world is, is actually phenomenally resilient. That is mm. a fact, otherwise we wouldn't be here now. Well, this um, is the classic case. We're not going to lose the planet. We're no. not going to lose the natural world. No. It would be yeah. yeah. our environment that yeah. disappears. Yeah. 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 So it's ultimately selfish. Yeah. The bacteria kilometers down in the crust that life will not disappear yeah no. exactly exactly and um the the recent uh, i'm sure most people uh listening to this will probably have seen uh the the recent one world seven continents series and there was some amazing insights in that one thing you realize from uh watching those films is that there's still we're still finding out very simple stuff about animals and how quickly they adapt to changing environments so for example there was a polar bear standing on a rock in Hudson Bay while the tide came in. Just sat there, well literally stood there waiting, you know, on this rock. Tides coming in and beluga whales start moving in and uh, just sort of hanging out looking for something, a snack, and suddenly they become a snack of the polar bear because the polar bear ambushes them from by being and that is a new uh, kind of ad adaptation that has only been observed by the locals in the last two years. So there are clearly are some animals that will navigate their way into the future with raising, rising temperatures. Others won't. You know, we'll see the, the sort of high levels of extinction. But the truth is, too, that the world's environment has always changed. You know, it's changed with, with changing climate and it's changed because that's evolution. Uh, it's really just the degree of suffering that is going to result for, for um, our fellow animals and ourselves. As the years go by, if we don't do something about what's happening now, I, I also realised how much how much it's useful to have a library of pictures from your local area in terms of what might change in the future, as well. Absolutely. Because mm. I I looked looked at things like the um, we have a current proposal in in Balahulishia. Somebody wants to put uh, sixty holiday homes on the peninsula, down at the bottom next to Loch Leven, um, and I immediately thought. How many pictures have I got of that area? Um, and it's too late to take pictures at that point in time. It's not the right moment. It's not the right environment. Same with the Glen Essie one. Um, but if you've got a local area and you've taken pictures of the beautiful parks or little bits of woodland, and somebody comes in with a development that is, is something that you don't agree with, those have got value all of a sudden. We've talked about it very recently with the new Sitka Spruce Plantation, uh, very close to our local village. And I was saying it would be really quite powerful in the pre-planning stage if everybody just took a photo of that hill and what it means to them, because it's a very visual hill, it's a very beautiful hill, and it, and it's our kind of nearest big landmark, a bit, a bit like somebody rosemary topping, just banging a load of Sitka spruce on top of it. I'm glad it got rosemary topping into the talk. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so... How long did um, that? <laughs> you know, and, and so it's just... And I was saying it would be fantastic if everybody could just photograph it and say a little bit about what that view's meant to them throughout their life and how they interact with it, you know, and, and, and that's along the same lines of... What you're saying, and they don't need to be amazing photographs. It's more something where people can tell a story yeah. of what that means. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I think of it, um, Vittorio Sellers pictures of the glaciers, which when when Vittorio Seller, Italian photographer from the 1920s. 19, 19, uh, no, the 1900, early 1900s. So yeah. Yeah. So he was taking pictures in, in the Alps, but also in the Himalayas. Himalayan. Caucasus as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and those pictures were, were used in the last few years, four, four or five years ago. At the Royal Geographic Society? At the Royal Society, Geographic Society to yep. compare glacier retreats. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he wasn't thinking about that at the time. It was just something he was photographing. But isn't yeah. it also true that you know when we look at, uh, at pictures from the 19th century, you know, they're, they're, however, even if they're not aesthetically very good they are valuable to us yeah. you know and I don't see why that shouldn't continue you know for future generations and I, I think especially if the world starts to change more rapidly then 
in fact there will be a utility to even you know relatively don't have to be super creative pictures but just geographical Instagram, images even a selfie may become relevant yeah. with a background yeah the worry is if we don't print them they're all going to disappear <laughs> so. uh, i was going to ask about the, the strength the, Im the impact of landscape photographers on certain local areas and sharing the locations of images it's something we chatted about just before we started recording yeah um but you, you've but, obviously been to places like iceland for instance you must have seen the changes in the iconic spots in Iceland. Don't yeah, you? when Joe touched on this earlier, when we went in '99, there were no other photographic groups going. Um, and it, it, same for me with Lofoten, actually. When I first did a Lofoten tour in the early 2000s, you didn't see any other photographers. And now um, you go to Rainer or somewhere, and there's, I don't know, tens, population. Maybe, maybe hundreds on some days of photographers. Um, and they're not probably not doing much damage there. Yeah. Um, but in certain places, they definitely do do a lot of damage to to the environment. Um, and it's uh, yeah, it's, a, it's I've argued for a long time that actually, as a photographer, if you really care about your art, that um, what you should be doing is to try and find your own way and not not to be following loop like that to constantly think of new new ways to approach um, things and so the pressure isn't put in the same places again and again but there's a strong uh, there's a strong streak of trophy hunting I think which is a which is a difficult thing but a lot of people like to tick things off a list I think um, people want the value out of their holiday in many ways as well if you're a landscape photographer and you, you've only got one holiday per year mm. Mm wants to make sure it's a magic place and he wants to make sure I've got the right, I've got a good set of pictures to show for it. The, yeah, the easy guy, way of doing that is doing iconic. Yeah, I had a guy came on a Norway trip uh, some eight years ago now, I suppose, from the States and he brought with him 40 printed sheets of pictures of the phones and he wants to go to all the places that were on the sheets. There was a classic one because we were there in winter, <laughs> we were there in February and um, we had a shot of a meandering river going down to to a bay at Fred Lane and I said yeah I'll take you there I'll take you there. so it's a metre and a half of snow <laughs> no, but this, <laughs> where this meandering river normally is it didn't work yeah I do find it difficult sometimes when I go to places and, and it's not it's not just photographers but photographic tours are definitely implicated um, you're quite lucky because nobody would ever recognise where you took your photographs. <laughs> <laughs> Myself included, a lot of the time. But I mean, we, we, we did trips to Tuscany fairly early on and, um, you know, um, San Quirico and the, uh, the Belvedere. Um, Pienza and Montepulciano and all of those, yeah. Last time, last time I went to Belvedere, um, one of the locations um, you used to be able to go into the into the olive orchards there and, and take pictures, and nobody had any trouble about it. But now, fifty people at a time turn up and go into the olive orchards. So the local farmer has put up signs, no entry, and I was there with my group, and I respected his um, his boundary. And another group of photographers turned up and they just went straight over into the orchard. And I think he must have had binoculars trained on us because within five minutes he was there shouting at them. <laughs> so, or he's got you know, some kind of surveillance. Yeah. Um, but he's, you know, no doubt people leave rubbish and they, they don't clean up after themselves and they probably do things like climb trees. I remember being at Mono Lake, probably also 10 years ago now, um, and a group of photographers turned up um, from the east coast, some of them stayed somewhere, um, Nikonians, uh, and they um, they started climbing the Tufa Towers to get better viewpoints. And that that's what I was saying about earlier. That's that's consuming. That's not communing. That's that's not actually making a connection. That's not celebrating the place. That's saying, uh, yeah, this is this is something that I can consume and and make a product out of and. That's, for me, that's not what landscape photography is about. It's not what photography is about. Um, I, I meant, it, meant it in jest about you 
people not knowing where your photographs were taken. But Joe, you must have, you must have some areas where you've taken certain pictures uh, and were concerned about where to, whether to say where they were or even to share them. Well, I, 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 as you know, Tim, I don't do social media, so I've never shared anything like that. Uh, I've done a few books over the years, so some of them turn up in books, inevitably. Uh, I do know uh, for a fact that, that some of those places, one in particular, has become quite popular. The fortunate thing about it, and I'll, I'll, I might as well just come out with it, is in uh, Sky, Elgol, uh, that, that that is an intertidal zone, and you really cannot damage the rock, which is much harder um, and more long-lasting than any of us. Yeah. So, you know, I suppose that's a, a bit of a bonus, um, and it is a beautiful spot. And actually, Elgol, uh, which I'm sure everybody around the stable has been to at least a few times, is a, a you don't have to stand in one place. There's a, there's at least a mile of, of shoreline that you can walk along and find uh, great views and looking not just at the cooling, but also towards rum. So, or at your feet. Or at your feet. I mean, there's all sorts of amazing details in that rock for sure. So, and I'm sure that would be David's preference, yes. But I mean, the thing Look is, up, that, what's that about? But I mean, the, okay. Uh, the, so there is a, a quite. I've heard a number of people say they've been standing on that beach, and other photographers come up to them and said. Um, can you show me the Joe Cornish boulder? Yeah, I've been there. I've had that experience. Okay, so, yeah. you know, that's deeply embarrassing for me. But the fact is, it's also absurd because there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an inf infinite number of photographs that could be made just on Algol. You know, so why would we want to pursue looking, uh, trying to copy someone else's composition? Just it's deep in the psyche, isn't it? I think that's the issue. I think so. I mean, we over however many years you know there's the cover of you know some photography magazines you see the same shot over and over again it almost comes up annually of you know i mean buckle more would be a really typical example that's probably it? one of the most worst mm. environmental damage i've seen caused yeah. by landscape photographers and yet it, it's so, uh, it's celebrated as a kind of new picture mm. regularly throughout the year across publications mm. you know when it, it you know, there's, a, there's only a small variant really between each shot. Someone took the original shot. I'm not going to look at anyone. I don't know who it was, but not me. No. <laughs> I think the person who complained about it the most, he won't mind. Colin Pryor, I think, probably was one of the first people there. You know, with the river shot going yeah, into the buckle, yeah. and it's repeated over and over again with a slight variant in the shot and celebrated as something. Mm. Do you not think this is a, a an editorial issue? Possibly, yeah. There's I mean, a responsibility I for, for editors to it, make decisions yeah. on these things. I mean, I also think we, we have to be aware that we've all got a privilege that we've all been to these beautiful Agreed. places and we've yeah. already taken our shots and we've enjoyed them. And now other people want to go there and do the same thing. So I'm not saying those people shouldn't be doing it. It's just part of the dilemma generally. You know, I've been to Iceland lots of times. We all have and we all see the problems there. And we all see the, you know, even I think in the, 2013 14 there was hardly anyone there and then mm. even in six years it's gone the Crazy. change is incredible yeah but i also don't know who i am to deny someone else to go to iceland and photograph it who hasn't been there before I think so i find it a real struggle i that the, the being somebody who's been there and wants to go there we should probably say the majority of people who probably listen to this aren't the problem and i think that there's, there's a certain amount of the majority of people who are going there who aren't familiar with the damage they can cause just by walking on things. It's just the sheer lasts. numbers though, That's the isn't it? Yeah. And also the, the feeling of being in those places has changed because there are hundreds of people there I as well. I think they even mentioned the wildflowers hmm. uh, in America as being one of the major issues. Yeah, but lots of, lots of different delicate things. So went back to uh, Valley of Fire, do you remember we went on? I do. Like 2001 or something, was yeah. it? Something yeah. like that? Yeah. And rock fins, very very like, fine fins, very, very fine. Yeah. Most of them have been destroyed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. yeah. And oh, that's that, a, so that's in fifteen years. That's another another three thousand years. They'll be fine again. <laughs> they will. They, <laughs> they will. will. They will. Yeah. <laughs> as long as we don't allow any people in there. Yeah. I but, to, oh, sorry. Sorry, go on. I wanted to go back to your comment though that you said just a little while ago about communing instead of consuming because I think it's a really interesting point. You know, a lot of the work we've tried to do on workshops 
you know, try to give people the opportunity to take the shot they may have seen or pre-visualised, but then say, just get that out of your system and try and spend some more meditative and immersive time in a space. Um, because I think part of the problem is we're still separating ourselves from the environment and climate. We talk about it as if it's something else, whereas it, we are just a one more animal in that environment, and it is our environment. It's not a separate thing that we've got to talk about or worry about. It is our habitat at the end of the day, and we're just another animal in it. And so I think, you know, part of the thing of a, a really good point about photography is, is to be able to engage and be immersed and be have that real connection with something. A lot of the time the camera is a barrier for people. Though. Yeah. If it's, it's seen as putting something at one remove. Yeah. That's the thing that I'm... We quite often make them just put the camera down for quite a long time and say, just be in the space, walk around, just sit and enjoy and start to, you know, feel what's going on, feel the wind on your face, listen to what's happening. One photograph in an hour. Yeah. That's, that's part of the transient thing. An hour. hour. <laughs> part of the transient thing about landscape photography is tourism, though, isn't it? It's, it's, it's about getting somewhere, producing an image quickly, you can't have a relationship with. Oh, well, now you have to post it within half an hour as well. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's, it's it's one of one of the things I realised when I went to Norway with with Charlotte was was as you as you're out there, it's so beautiful, it's so amazing that producing images is facile. There is there is you know you can, you you can put a lot of effort and produce something very very magic, but you can just throw a camera out the window on automatic and and produce something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, and I, I started feeling that the work didn't have as much relevance because of that. Yeah. And I realised that it's actually more valuable to be somewhere that's difficult to photograph than to produce something great. Um, but uh, we need to stop, otherwise people won't get home. Oh, we haven't um, even skimmed <laughs> the surface. We shall have to try <laughs> part two. Part two. Um, but I think I, I can probably summarise in, in, with a lot of what we've said here is about Engaging, one engaging, two thinking local, and thinking about what what it is possible for you to do as a photographer in in your local area that can influence people. It doesn't need to be a lot, but it's if you can engage in some way, it could help. That'd be trying to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. I mean, if you can if you can get to that side of the balance, that would be good. Thank you, everybody, for turning up and talking. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you.